why is this episode of Chess Feels unlike any other episode of Chess Feels? This episode is so special because this is our first ever season one reunion episode. JJ and I have been apart from podcasting for dozens of days. A dozen. 1.5 dozen. (laughs) We round up to the nearest dozen. Yeah, we got the entire cast of Chess Feels back together. I'm JJ. Yes, we did. Hi, I'm Julia. I used to play Julia on Chess Feels. And I'm JJ. I used to play Ben Johnson on Chess Feels. (laughs) Okay, I played Ben Johnson too, though, sometimes. <laughs> so last week, Julia was defending her dissertation and I was floundering in a chess tournament and we just didn't get our shit together. We, yes, sure. We well, issue. Julia just didn't get her shit together. But listen, we're back. And this we're is back. a really good time to catch up and say we've been calling this season one, but I'm not sure we've ever really announced that we are a seasonal podcast, much like mm-hmm. pumpkin spice mm-hmm. lattes or monsoons. And like sports, we really think of ourselves as like a sports team. Well, I think when John McKenzie was here, he established that podcasting is a sport. Yeah. We need to make jerseys then for our merch store. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. By the way, we have a merch store. I think things have almost sold out, honestly. So we're going to have to restock. Yeah. I mean, I hand stitch all of them and I'm running, <laughs> I'm running out of fur for my pets to use to make... JJ is such an incredibly talented seamstress. People actually don't know this. So run, don't walk. What's the what's the URL for that, JJ? I'll put it in the show notes. Speaking of which, we're sponsored by Chessable, which is a great place mm. to learn about chess. My queue is up to 6,807 moves, and I am mm. about to lose my one-day streak. <laughs> my one-day streak. Okay, but maybe you actually could talk a little bit, JJ, about what you've been doing in chess level recently. Yeah, so I was deep in my prep for five of the six games I played in my last tournament. Of course, the only game where I had an advantage out of the opening was the sixth game, but I was familiar with five of my six games. What what lines were those? So I've been using Christoph Selecki's Keep It Simple 1D4 for white, which I really do like as a tactical player as a youth, his kind of pseudo-Catalan repertoire has helped me learn how to grind out positional edges and appreciate positional edges more. And I think it's a really lovely way to learn that. There's a lot of transpositional stuff that you have to get used to, but once you get your bearings in that, I think it's a really lovely way to get yeah. solid positions, especially at a club level. If you're comfortable with positional play or want to learn yeah. positional play more, I think that's great. Are you obsessed with chess, but also kind of fun at parties? Do you keep your opening prep on your bedside table right next to your feelings journal? Welcome to the Chess Feels Podcast, the only chess podcast dedicated to the social and psychological aspects of this game we know and love. And hate. Tune in every week to join me, professional chess teacher and amateur feelings haver, JJ Lang. And me, professional therapist and amateur checkmate finder, Julia Rios. And I'm also Julia Rios. As we dive into our shared love for the game and attempt to answer the most burning question for every chess obsessor. Why are we like this? Yeah. So let's start off with our very, very special episode. Let's find out why this episode is so special. So I'm JJ. 
I'm Julia Rios. And I'm also Julia Rios. Wait, fuck. How how did this happen? We got confused. JJ sent the Zoom link to every Julia Rios on Twitter. So we're all just here. (laughs) I'm just really glad you only knew two of us because hmm, let me tell you, I have our name as my email address. And a lot of other Julia Rioses think it's their email address. So I get a lot of unwanted email and a lot of other Julias are not as cool as you. <laughs> a lot of other Julias are not as cool as Dr. Chess Julia. <laughs> I feel like I have to tell you, Julia, that I have known who you are longer than you've known who I am. What? Because sev- <laughs> yes. When I found you on Twitter, it was very funny to me because I said to my partner, he knew exactly what I was talking about. I found the Julia Rios, the writer, because a few years ago I had wanted to make a blog for all of my creative writing. So of course I was like, great, like Julia Rios. <laughs> dot com yeah. and yeah. and it was so funny to me i was like there's already a julia rios who has a poetry blog juliarios.com i i've always wanted to get my degree and get an mfa or be a writer and it's like my second dream life that i never lived so i was like there's this person who's living my dream so we knew who you were so when i discovered you on twitter i was like i got to meet this person <laughs> This is amazing. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm sorry that you found my website like a few years ago because it kind of languished for a long time and I just finally redid it. So now it's actually got stuff on it. Oh, beautiful. There, you can actually like see things. So our guest today is Julia Rios. Uh, so Julia, would you like to introduce yourself and then maybe for our listeners who, if they haven't figured it out yet, tell them why you're here. Okay. So yes, I'm Julia Rios. I'm not a doctor and I don't play chess, <laughs> <laughs> but like the other awesome Julia who hosts this podcast, I am a podcaster. I do have a black cat and uh, I also write poetry and other things. So we have a lot in common. You're hired. (laughs) (laughs) I am a writer, an editor, a podcaster, a narrator. You can find all of my work at juliarios.com, which has all of like my podcasts and all sorts of things. I do two podcasts actively right now. One is the OMG Julia podcast, where we explore creative lives and processes. And I talk to other creators about what their processes are. It's a lot of fun. And then my less serious, more fun podcast is This Is Why We're Like This, which I co-host with Jeffrey Pelton. And it's all about the movies and TV shows that we saw as children that like maybe we only half remember and we're like, was that even a real thing? First off, that's brilliant. We rewatch them as adults and we're like, what did I just watch? So that's this is why we're like this. If you want a good example, we, we did an episode with a horror writer named Krista Carmen on the Raggedy Ann and Andy musical adventure, which she remembered (laughs) loving as a child. This thing is a straight up nightmare. (laughs) It is just horrifying. Oh, that's brilliant. What a great concept for a podcast. Are you going to explain the thing? (laughs) Yeah. JJ and I are both freaking out and making faces because one of the taglines for our podcast is why are we like this? Yeah, we are truly a match in heaven. It's kind of uncanny between the black cat, the podcast taglines. I feel like our paths were destined to cross. I feel very delighted that they crossed. The way that they did. <laughs> so if you don't know how we met, it's because someone who listens to Chess Feels, the very podcast that we are on right now, <laughs> tagged 
Julia in a tweet and tried to tag Dr. Awesome Julia, Dr. Chess Julia, but tagged me instead because if you just type Julia Rios into Twitter, even though my handle is OMG Julia, I come up. And I was like, this is not me. It's clearly meant for someone who plays chess, which I don't. So I like I did a little quick Twitter search and was like, who on here plays chess and is named Julia Rios? And I found Dr. Chess Julia. (laughs) And I was like, I think you meant to tag Dr. Chess Julia. And then somehow I now follow a bunch of chess Twitter. I'm not really (laughs) sure how this happens. I think that there's something so beautiful about this. The comments that you make, Julia, about how I've been indoctrinated into this world that I don't really understand because you almost forget how much of this is such a specific lexicon. It's a jargon. I have no idea what these memes are, but I know they're funny. I don't know. There's something like really cool about that overlapping of worlds. I love it. I I love it. It's so surreal to me because it's just like, oh, you've seen this insider meme and you know it means something to the people who are posting it. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of words. Is this about fish? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, it's about engines, which makes more sense. (laughs) (laughs) I know you just forget that. Yeah, it is. It is such a cultish Chess Twitter is a very, very interesting place. So I'm happy you're here and I'm sorry that happened. (laughs) I'm not sorry it happened at all. I'm really glad it happened because honestly, like I I get a lot of emails for other Julia Rioses and most of them are like really conservative Christian. Like (gasps) there's so much that I've learned about other Julias and I'm like, oh, we're not friends. I I got a really- We're not name soulmates. (laughs) Yeah. I got a really delightful invitation to another Julia Rios's family Easter gathering. Oh, you got like come prepared with your water balloons and your love of Christ. So I replied and I was like, you know, you sent this to the wrong email. I'm not your family member. And the gentleman who responded was like, oh, that's so nice of you to reply. And like you, I can tell you're a really nice person, just like our Julia. And I was like, that's nice. But then a few years later, he sent me a QAnon rant that was meant for his Julia. And I was like, oh, Okay. Uh, I wanted to just have that nice feeling about the water balloons, but no. No, uh. never. We can't have nice things here. I'm sorry. So now that we have Julia Rios here, writer, podcaster extraordinaire, how are we going to spend this beautiful hour together? Well, I also really like that cool Julia has just been referring to normal Julia as Dr. Chess Julia, but I think it's just going to be cool Julia and other Julia for today or Chess Julia and cool Julia. It's your call, Chess Julia. It's Dr. Chess Julia. Dr. Chess Julia. Forever. Just Chess Julia is mine. Just Chess Julia. Okay. Well, I was thinking maybe the first game we could play since Cool Julia was alluding to all of these very idiosyncratic and seemingly penetrable memes is... uh, Yes, yes, no. Yeah. How does that work? This is perfect. There's three of us. Yes, yes, no. Okay. Okay. What's the game? As many of our podcast (laughs) listeners probably know, the game Yes, Yes, No originated on a very well-known, very successful prior podcast the called Reply All. No. <laughs> I've, actually never, I've actually never caught that one. I've never listened to um, that one. Yes, Yes, No was born because Alex Bloomberg of Gimlet of Reply All just was like hilariously out of touch with internet culture and meme culture. So they would pull up really funny memes and tweets and be like, do you understand this? 
And then PJ vote would be like, yes, I understand it. And Alex Goldman would be like, yes, I understand this. And then Alex Bloomberg would be like, no, I have no idea what this means. And they would spend like 20 minutes explaining. They would go down these like hilarious rabbit holes, but eventually they would get to yes, yes, yes. And it was like this beautiful, beautiful experience. Everybody loved it. So we should just steal their idea and see if we can explain the Twitter chess meme culture and get Julia to yes. I, I'm into it. I okay. feel I feel confident that I'll understand at least one chess meme at this point. Okay, great. Because my version of this was going to be have Julia explains chess, which is we just give some chess jargon to Julia and they tell us <laughs> what it means. And some of the jargon we give them is not chess jargon. Oh and my gosh. but we don't okay, share that yes. too. So it's no, a sort yeah, of that's a, that sounds amazing. We can even start with the t-shirt that Julia's already bought. Julia, okay. can you explain the meme on the very shirt you wore on the day of my defense? No, I cannot. <laughs> Think about like if you play an opening one way, it's bad. But if if you give it a chance, you're better, and that's sexy. I'm not clear. I don't. Okay, know. so mm-hmm. first, just so our Admirable. listeners know, Admirable, this T-shirt. What is on this T-shirt is the Stockfish eval, and it says plus six point one in the streets. <laughs> And then the Stockfish eval, negative 2.7 in the sheets. This came from the brilliant, beautiful mind of J.J. Lang. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I was really afraid someone would ask me what. And you could say it's just a chess it. joke. I mean, I would have been like, it, it has to do with chess. I don't really understand it. Um, someone forced me to wear it. <laughs> J.J., if you had to explain that T-shirt. Uh-huh. How would you start to do that? Okay, like my first question is, can you explain what stockfish is? Yes. <laughs> That's a good place to start. Stockfish is a computer? No, no, no. Stockfish is... I thought I was right. The being of my existence and the object of all my desires. I thought that was like Stouffer's lasagna. <laughs> They're similar. <laughs> you really do know your stuff. <laughs> Okay, how do we describe Stockfish is an engine, Julia. So when you're playing chess and you want to see how well a position is, you can turn on something called Stockfish. It'll tell you what the best move is in a position and it'll give you an evaluation of who's better, the white pieces or the black pieces. I think what's really weird about chess to non-chess players is computers are good enough at chess to completely annihilate the best humans. And yet chess is complicated enough to where this fact is mostly irrelevant to any game of chess you play. After you play your game, if you want to see how good or bad your moves were, with a pretty high degree of certainty, you can have the computer judge your play and tell you where you went wrong. And the way Stockfish at least does this is numerically, where the higher the positive number is, the better the white players is. And the more negative the number is, the better the black pieces is. Okay. So you're basically, this joke boils down to people who open with the black pieces are better in bed. This is this the joke? Oh, close. Yeah. No. Well, actually, JJ, I think we might be an example of yes, no, no. Oh, so so can I explain how I've always interpreted this T-shirt? And then you, as the original creator, tell me if I'm even maybe misrepresenting. Well, the the author is dead. So your interpretation is valid. But I'd love to know your interpretation. (laughs) Okay, the way I've always interpreted it is that. This is from the POV of a person playing with the white pieces, plus 6.1 in the streets. I'm like a relatively well-adjusted, successful person, but in the sheets, I'm a terrible monster and I'm just bad in bed. Mm -hmm. And that to me was so funny because it's 
an anti-joke. It, it's, it's a version of the joke of it's mild or modest joke. on the streets, but a freak in the sheets. This is like, no, I'm, I'm acceptable. And, you know, I perform well on the streets, but I'm actually just really bad in bed. I thought that was correct. You say, you say this is subversive, but this actually just plays into the stereotypical chess player like idea, right? Oh. The chess player is a nerd who's not going to be amazing in bed. It's a 180 and then a 180. We come back where we started. Well, I like my interpretation. It's the black player who's like, I don't play very well, but get me in bed. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I like that too. The inspiration for this is chess players have this nasty habit of reading off of engine evaluations with no understanding and determining, oh, I was winning. That's a really big number plus six. Now, why is that there? Why are those moves good? I have no idea. And so then they end up getting into a worse position and losing, but they take as this point of pride as if like, it's just like a freak occurrence that they happen to have a good position, had no idea what to do with it, but then say I was winning. But what really matters, you know, the sheets. Yeah. JJ and I think about people who take stockfish too seriously is kind of a derogatory trait Mm -hmm. so this joke is just operating on so many levels of all the shirts you could have picked julia you really (laughs) impressed us by picking the best one should i wear this to my defense and i was like i should wear it in support (laughs) i don't understand anything i'm just showing my support when i saw that julia (laughs) it literally nothing else on twitter made me happier i was like this is exactly how i want to be treated online (laughs) i'm happy to help I only felt bad because any other article of merch, somebody would see it it'd be like, haha, chess joke. And this one is like a lot more of like, oh, you're a chess player. You really understand this. Let's talk about chess. Point of order. One of your other shirts is chess feels as the Stouffer's logo. So like, <laughs> I don't know. Amazing. Who wouldn't um, understand that? I mean, yeah. even me, honestly. Me, like, me I understand too. that it is a joke, but I don't really understand. I've, I've not actually listened to all of your archives. Before we move on and, to the Stouffer's joke, Julia, do you feel like we've arrived at yes, yes, yes? Do you think that if I someone do. stopped you on the street and they said, hey, that shirt's funny. I play chess. Explain <laughs> it to me. Do you feel like you could <laughs> I approximate? Feel like I could. I could approximately explain it i feel like before we go further i should tell you like what i know about chess yeah yeah oh my god i would love that teach us chess i know of the game okay so um i've never played this game whoa cool i have watched the queen's gambit cool so my my main association with chess is like you take drugs and then your ceiling comes alive and that is clearly the game of chess that is what happens yeah Yeah. so that is my thought um, I know that it has black and white and white moves first, I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. you got it. Uh, and I know that the pieces are pawns mm-hmm. and there's um, knights mm-hmm. yep. and queen and king and mm-hmm. a bishop, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and rooks. Yes. Are, are those you got the same it. as yeah. anything else? Okay. Nope. And uh, someone on Twitter told me that rooks used to be elephants originally. Mm-hmm. So that I have that from Twitter. Somebody else on Twitter told me to just say deep blue over and over again. I think that might be a computer. Yeah. Uh, and oh, I know, I know that Bobby was a big, I don't know, but like he was a big champion, but then also wasn't he like a KGB informant or something? Oh, that's a nice like telephone kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, how would you describe trajectory? I assume you're just going to bleep that out. Yeah. Have <laughs> of oh, course. Yeah. It's kind uh, of become an inside joke, but he he was a really successful chess player and he got people in the US really excited because he went on 
to win the world championship and also had some very radical anti-Semitic ideas. Um, That's lovely. So it was like height of Cold War. Fisher beats the Russian at their own game, I think, is the like U.S.-Soviet connection and then kind of went off the deep end or was always a bit off the deep end and super anti-Semitic. Actually, it's totally possible there's like a KGB narrative story, but I feel like <laughs> I, I heard that at some point, but also like, I don't know. I don't, but know. I, I'm, I'm, I really don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to anything about chess. No, like we're, you're, you're saying it, we're talking about it, we're thinking about it. It's true now. So I'm, I'll, I will perpetuate this. <laughs> Good. I realized I do know a few more things. So I know that the queen can move in any direction. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I know that one of the pieces can only go in like an L shape, mm-hmm. but I don't know which you okay. That's an L. <laughs> okay. Like, no, I don't know which piece I was not going to know. Um, at, in the first move, the pawn can move like two squares. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's that there ends my, I know that you end with like mating and check, check, check and checkmate. You sound like a chess Twitter user to me, actually. Some of knowledge you need to be active yeah. in this sphere. Now that I've been on chess Twitter, I've learned some other things. Like for instance, I, I know that there are openings like the Sicilian and the Benoni. Yes. Oh. <laughs> Okay, if you know the Bononi, that puts you at least 1,100, right? (laughs) I don't know what they mean, but I know that they are openings that you can use. (laughs) But you shouldn't use the Bononi unless you do it ironically. I learned this. Oh, my God. Yeah, see? This is like 1,400. You can totally dupe someone into thinking that you are a very serious chess player. (laughs) Well, that was my whole goal. With uh, That's my goal in life is to make people think I can play chess. I'm extremely impressed. With the sum of knowledge you have, even from the pre-Twitter knowledge, I'm shocked that you've actually never played this game because that is all the knowledge you would need to play a game of chess. And so you've picked all of this up, but also never played? Question mark? No, I've never played. Well, I played checkers as a kid. <laughs> has, has it ever piqued your interest? Like you see these things and you know how the pieces move. Have you ever thought, oh, I'll just go on chess.com and play one game? I have never thought that. <laughs> I've always been like, this sounds a lot like advanced math and I'm pretty bad at math. So I'm just going to, I'm going to walk away. (laughs) Yeah. Advanced is not the word I would use to describe. (laughs) Never change. Most of the chess space. So I've read a lot of books where chess ends up being like incidental, right? Not like a major, not like the Mm -hmm. queen's gambit. It's a major part of the plot, but people talk about having played it or whatever. And I think that's where most of my knowledge of how the pieces move comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and in all of those books, I feel like people talk about how chess is the game of war. And like, if you, if you want to be good at war, you master chess. And I'm, I, I think that's one of the reasons I've never picked it up because I don't want to be good at war. And we have a whole episode about that, <laughs> Julia. I don't know if you've caught this one, but our episode five is kind of the exact same point you're making. It's become this cultural stand-in for intelligence in a way that we think is bad. Yeah. Misaligned. (laughs) And also for aggression and for war and for domination and all these things that we also don't really adhere to ourselves. And what are some other ways that we can think about chess that are actually not only more palatable, but also just feel more accurate. I think that that sort of feeling of resistance towards it is something that we both really relate to. So how, how did both of you end up playing in the first place? Yeah. Julia. Yeah. No. How did you start JJ? Cause so JJ has been playing chess for a lot longer than yeah. I have. Yeah. What made you start playing JJ? In middle school, 
two of my friends were on like played at the chess club for like all of sixth grade. And then one day at lunch, they're playing in seventh grade. I'm like, oh, I know how to play chess. And I play with them and they both kick my ass. And I'm like, oh, okay. Now I'm like open to the idea that one can learn chess because like I've, when I play other games with my friends, they're never this lopsided. So this is interesting. I think what was really helpful for me was that our chess teacher was a really strong chess player who was also an English teacher. His love of chess was very much aligned with the way he was just like really into literature and narrative and not just like the way he was into math and logic and conquest and stuff. And I think that if I had a very strict Soviet, these are the rules of chess, I would have been like, nah, I already take math. And then that was enough to get hooked enough to where then the obsession took over. And at that point, it was just like, okay, I feel at home doing this thing. Even if I don't feel at home around these other people, And these other men as somebody who's like kind of gender questioning and just didn't feel comfortable in those spaces, the game itself very much felt like home. I think that's something that's just been very comforting to me is like feeling like I can understand that language. So that's kind of how I got into it and why I, except for an eight year break, didn't leave. Yeah. Just eight years. No, but how about you? Cause I feel like, I feel like your, your story is a little bit less linear. Yeah. Mine's so different. I mean, I I played a little bit when I was younger, so I knew how the pieces moved, but I had never played in a club or studied. I I had probably played like two dozen games total up through my twenties. And then when the pandemic hit in 2020, that summer, we were all stuck inside. And I literally just came across a YouTube video about how a grandmaster could beat a club player at chess. And it was kind of a similar experience to what JJ described in middle school it was like, wow, you don't just randomly move the pieces around. You can actually really learn this thing and get quite good at it quite quickly. I think that was part of what hooked me was you can sit down and study chess for one evening for a couple of hours and get much better. You can get three, four times better in a really short span of time. You'll still be very bad, but that quick learning curve was really exciting to me. And Something about it captivated me. So the the steep learning curve and my crush on Danya, Daniel Nerviditsky, <laughs> here I am these years later with a chess podcast. So do you feel like these stories make you want to try it at all, Julia? Please say I'm gonna, no. I'm going to be honest. No. Good. I, I like that, it. I like it. I think that it's not something that I will ever like because I have a kind of aversion to highly competitive things. And I know it is highly competitive, even though JJ, I do love your, it's a conversation idea, Yeah. but I tend to like things where there either isn't competition or it's a cooperative aspect better. And if there is competition, I I want it to kind of be less tense. So I'm okay with some light competition, but I don't I want it to be too competitive. I feel like this this all probably goes back to childhood trauma about seeing, you know, parents getting really upset when they lost or whatever. And then being like, oh no, like if things are bad in my house, there's yelling. I don't like it. And that makes me just like, oh, I'm not gonna try to do anything super competitive. Let's just take it down a notch. How about we play a cooperative game instead? And uh even then I do recognize that I have a little bit of the competitive drive. I did an escape room once with some friends and we did not manage to escape in time. And uh, everybody else is like, well, we tried our best. And I was like, we did not win that escape. room." (laughs) They were like, we didn't realize you were so competitive. (laughs) I was like, well, I mean, it's very clear cut. You either escape or you don't. We did not escape. So we lost. (laughs) Clearly we need to try again and do better next time. (laughs) We would not have survived. 
So I feel like if I did get into chess, there is a danger that I would become like an obsessed competitive monster. And I don't want to be that person. I hear that so much from, by by which I mean, like from like casual chess fans who don't play more or from non chess players, including my spouse. (laughs) I love your spouse. Oh yeah. Amelia rules. (laughs) Amelia's Twitter bio is just, I'm here to troll JJ. And I was like, Oh, this is actually true. I'm instant following. (laughs) Yeah. That's the vibe we're here for. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, Julia, because I was, was going to ask too. So, with this knowledge of chess and the lack of interest in playing, I know there is the lack of interest from the sort of I don't want to play competitive games. I'm also just curious, like almost as an ask a non chess player, like what has your perception of chess players been? I know you alluded to the pop culture perception of nerds, but I mean, also and bad in bed, bad in bed. But then you know, like you're you're a uh, creative, you're a uh, interesting person who lives a little bit off the beaten path. So I'm kind of curious if like that had changed over time or like you had ever come across chess players in the wild, probably not, or just, yeah. So I don't know any really active chess players. I don't think Um, I do have a friend who I believe their father was a big chess player or is a big chess player. And they were raised like kind of in the competitive chess world as a kid. Mm. I don't think they play now, but I think as a kid, they were doing a lot of competitions because their father was like a chess teacher and, and stuff. So, you know, I mean, that's a friend that I care very much about and they're very nice. Uh, so, so that's a nice impression of a chess player. I think my general thought is that it's very smart people, which is cool. I like smart people. Uh, so I, I would imagine that I would be able to have a good conversation with a chess player, even if we don't have that specific thing in common. JJ's laughing, Julia, because we've had this discussion before. Yeah. If you ask a chess player, <laughs> Would you like to have a conversation with most other chess players? I don't know. I feel like at least JJ and I would be like, you know, honestly, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> I think I I heard that you said this, JJ, and I've heard you talk about sort of similar things in other contexts, Julia, is the way that gender kind of is portrayed yeah. and expected in this world. And I mean, I feel like in the world at large, there's certainly a lot of gender prescriptiveness, but it sounds to me like in the chess world, there's a lot more like maybe I get the impression that maybe women who play chess are taken less seriously yes, um, and also face a lot of harassment as far as I can tell. Like, I, I feel like all of the what's your rating jokes are about people harassing you when you're a woman playing chess. It might be a little bit gendered or people's inclination to feel like they want to ask me that. It's almost yeah. like they've never seen a woman engage in the chess space in this way and, you know, in the meme culture and make jokes. So I think people are a lot quicker to ask me, what's your rating? This is similar to how like broader nerd and geek culture, which I'm very much part of. There's those sort of like, it's like, oh, you're a Star Trek fan. Name your top five episodes. And- exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think at least to some extent, gendered expectation to prove yourself. <laughs> do you belong in this space that uh, there's so, certainly more of that for women? I guess a question that I have for JJ specifically Ooh. is you said you don't necessarily feel comfortable around the the men in that space mm-hmm. because they expect a certain performance of masculinity from you that you maybe don't feel because you were questioning your gender and, and ultimately 
came out of it not feeling like you identify as a man. So what is the expectation and how is that? Because I would not have associated chess with like a hyper-masculine sort of sensibility. Yeah, this is such an interesting sociological observation because you've said two things that independently make total sense, but now I'm going to put them together. Um, I wouldn't associate chess with hypermasculinity. And earlier, I associate chess with being the game of war. Yes. Okay. That's really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and it is this really weird thing. So, the kind of hypermasculinity that you see is not going to be like the football jock or something, but the goal is to totally eviscerate your opponent, words like domination or crush. And I think that some of this comes up in some other nerd spaces or like uh, video game spaces too, where it's this weird kind of socialization where these people are very much socialized male, even if they're not good at it. (laughs) Like they're not good at being men, but they've deeply internalized those values and how you need to be. I was having a conversation with my spouse the other day about the way in our lifetimes, the concept of a nerd has shifted Mm -hmm. because when I was a kid, a nerd was maybe smart and maybe not really smart, but like probably not very put together um, aesthetically, maybe didn't to have the best hygiene or at the very least didn't care about matching their clothes. And uh, they were maybe awkward socially and nobody really wanted to talk to them. And so they kind of were outcasts who hung out with the only other people who would talk to them, which is other people who are very bad at social things and didn't have good clothes and, and couldn't like dress themselves or wash properly. maybe. And I think you see that a lot. If you look at movies like, Revenge of the Nerds, which I hope no one watches because it's just awful. I mean, it's it's really just terrible. In that movie, which was just billed as a comedy, which everybody thought was hilarious, the nerds are these horrible, horrible guys that you would not ever want to talk to. And their revenge is that they they then go and like steal pretty girls' underwear. And there's lots of hyper-masculine stuff. And the idea I feel like in the 80s about a nerd was like, yeah, they're like social outcasts and it's all still tied up in this hyper toxic masculinity, sort of the precursor to incels kind of of idea. Yeah. And now I feel like in the nineties, maybe in the late nineties, early two thousands, the nerd concept went under a big cultural shift and there was a big push to make nerds cool. So it was like nerds are people who wear glasses and are sensitive and like fun things and they're quirky. Like an intellectual your manic pixie dream nerd mm. <laughs> and, yeah and so that's kind of i think how we more think about the idea of a nerd or a geek now is like oh there's somebody who collects funko pops which is a very yeah. different concept like the, and maybe they like um like witty banter television shows about spaceships i'm realizing so i would have been a teenager in the mid aughts so like 2006 ish so I think what that would mean is that I was a bit too young to be a fully formed adult nerd in the space with other young adult nerds who were also cool. And then most of the people I was playing chess with were adults who had been playing for decades and were the traditional nerds. And so when I talk about those spaces, I think there's this kind of clash where, yeah, just like with my interests and outcastedness. Um, was putting me in this place where I was already kind of like 
feeling uncomfortable with a lot of what was taken for granted in older nerd culture. So just putting that in time, I think makes a ton of sense. I was also thinking there's some Simpsons episode where I think like Bart is trying to cheat off Milhouse and Milhouse has to explain to Bart that he's just the uh, skinny and uncoordinated type of nerd, not the smart type of nerd. Right. (laughs) Right. JJ, how do you think then that ties into some of the gendered stuff that you've experienced as someone who's been in the chess space for a long time and maybe has even seen some of that transformation within Uh the space? The reason why I didn't want to play chess when I started college and for most of my 20s was because I had a deep fear of becoming like the men who were older and very maladjusted in the sense of like, you're leering at 14-year-old girls and throwing temper tantrums and in one case, literally throwing pieces at your 16-year-old boy opponent when he beats you. Just being like, okay, like narcissistic and disgusting. All of these things that I really, really hate and I'm afraid of becoming, but also kind of can tell from some of the ways that I had been socialized. Like, yeah, but I also am the person who wants to rag at every single accomplishment I make. I'm also the kind of person who wants to use the fact that I'm good at chess as like a way to start a conversation with a girl in a chess space and like seeing us like, oh, these desires are there and I hate them. And so I think my reaction at the time was like to run from that space. And then after I started dating Amelia and talking to that more and thinking more about just like gender and my relationship to gender. The more she was like really encouraging without realizing what she was doing at the time. And to be like, well, what if you got back into chess? What if you thought about ways you could shape the space or try and make it something a little bit more where you felt like you did belong or find those people? I think like what's happened is just with with like there being more of uh internet, it's just like easier to find other chess people who feel that way and like platforms for people to talk about that, which is good. But there's still like it's really scary going to an event, a chess tournament, a club or something in a new place and not knowing what you're going to find. Like you might find a bunch of like, kind of like younger queer nerds and like people who got sucked into like computers and then chess and are just also like weirdos or gender nonconforming in some way. Or are you going to get like a bunch of 70 year old men who like might also be really awesome and talk to you. And so being, I guess, at that crossroads is good. That uncertainty has been a significant factor that has kept me away from that in-person space. You know, I'm not wanting to seek out chess clubs or play people in person because that's almost a risk that I don't always feel comfortable taking because if it's good, that's great. But if it's not good, it's not only unpleasant, it can feel really dangerous. I, I don't feel very comfortable in those spaces. So I have been really slow to seek out in-person chess, which is also compacted, of course, by the pandemic and other factors, but it's been a huge deterrent. That makes me really sad because I know that there's other women out there and even Mm. younger girls who are feeling that too. And I think one thing that I try and do, like when I came back to chess as an adult, like when I was in New York and started going to clubs and playing tournaments all the time, there's this uh, woman or I mean, girl, like maybe, maybe 13 But um, I was always seated next to her at tournaments because the way tournaments are done are like you get paired based on your rating. And so we were rated about the same. So she was a very strong 13-year-old girl and I was a not very strong 27-year-old man-ish. But like after I think like the second or third event where we were like placed next to each other, we just like started like nodding to each other. Like if I saw like a nice result, like we would fist bump. I know that even though I'm like a 27-year-old 
adult and she is a 13 year old i know that judging from the fact that we're seated next to each other every tournament and seem to move up or down each round together we're actually equals and probably more equal than anyone else in this room is equal with each other at least equal with me so i'm going to talk to this person and talk to them as an equal ask them how their game went and then it became this thing where we would just like immediately and like she was probably like my closest friend <laughs> at the club because like of all the people to play with like she like was at the most similar level and we we're always like really rooting for each other and by doing that i'm actually hopefully creating a really a slightly better space and that's just like an action i can do of like treating people as human beings which is not something that i think everyone does whether because they're a creep or an asshole or because they just like ignore and be like well i'm not going to talk to a child it's like they're rated higher than you you can ask them why they played a certain move and learn something from them and that's a really cool thing about chess i think that's a really good point i think that that carries over into a lot of things not just chess and i think that's actually one of the things i've I've enjoyed about this is sort of i don't understand anything about chess so sometimes i get these bizarre memes in my timeline and it's kind of delightful but other times when i hear you talking about chess i think oh this doesn't apply to me as a chess player because i'm not one but I can take the overall idea and apply it to other situations in my life. Like I listened to your episode on the clock Mm. and uh, sort of whether it's the enemy and whether playing too slowly or too fast is worse and how you, how you deal with that and how you deal with stress around it. And I was like, no, a lot of these things apply in other situations. And I can think about some of the advice that Dr. Chess Julia gave (laughs) <laughs> and apply that to to other situations in my life where they actually work. Oh, like what? Can I ask? Yeah. Oh, sure. So I'm I do writing and editing and I think one of the things that is common in my field is for people to feel like they have only a certain amount of time to get something finished and get something noticed. And there's a lot of pressure on you. You're trying to get awards recognition or you're trying to get book sales or whatever. And and the idea is that like, if you don't do it immediately, then it's bad. But also if you're trying to do there, there can be both. There can be taking too long to finish something because you're trying to write the best thing you possibly can. And you just rewrite and rewrite and rewrite that opening and you never kind of get to the end. But then there can also be going too fast and being like, I just got to put out as much as I possibly can, because that's how, especially if you're going like the self-publishing route, the best way to actually make money is to keep putting out content because so that your your audience will not forget that you exist. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, you're not necessarily going to be able to do that indefinitely. It's not sustainable. You're not a machine. Some people are very prolific naturally and that's cool, but like for a lot of people, we're not. And that also you can, so it can be good to slow down and it can also be good to kind of like pick it up sometimes and say, oh, you know what? This book is never going to be perfect. So I better just finish it. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a cool way to sort of translate that. I'm even just excited to hear that you've been able to listen to an episode and take all that away from it. I've definitely have had the thought of, wow, this is so chess specific. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, We really have kind of built this very narrow audience. So Mm -hmm. it's cool. I I really do think, Julia, that you would love our episode number five. If I can recommend anything to you, I I feel like that one might be up your alley. Oh, not the one about what openings you play and what it says about your sex life? I'm assuming they caught that one already. (laughs) 
So this has been such a wonderful conversation that I'm almost like, should we do the like trolley things of making Julia we define chess terms? One hundred percent do those. Okay. Um, yes. What is the point? We gotta of do a little bit okay. if you don't exploit the ridiculousness. That's and true. also, they spent all that time proving their chops, knowing how the knight moves. Uh-huh. I mean, we really gotta <laughs> dig in. Here. I drafted up a short list of chess terms and potentially non-chess terms that I'd love to have uh, Julia explain for all of our listeners who might be wondering. Okay. So let's start with some chess terms that non-chess players might have heard. Uh, stalemate. Okay. So um, I don't I don't think I realized this came from chess, although now that I think about it, it makes sense. And that is where neither person can actually move. Yeah, close, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, that's a yeah. perfect description. One One side can't move because it's not their turn. Oh yeah, good. And yeah, yeah, right. The other can't move because they can't move. So Julia, uh, you nailed it. You're completely right. Yeah, but I pretty much only know that from it being used as a metaphor and other other things. And that's something that can make stalemate frustrating in chess is that it counts as a tie. And so even if you're completely winning, you can this accidentally. This is why I always resign or hashtag sometimes resign. Yes. Gotcha. Your memory exactly. for chess yeah, culture, is Julia, is truly <laughs> astonishing. I mean, I've actually never been more impressed by any guests we've ever had. What would be really tricky is now, JJ, you ask about Zugzwang. Go for it. Dr. Chess Julia, the word given is Zugzwang. I know that is a chess thing. I know this because... There was an episode of Criminal Minds. Yes, there was. Yes, there was. But I don't remember anything about it. They even define it in the episode. I know. I'm like, I watched that. That was. Do you watch Criminal Minds, JJ? That was an early pandemic. That was an early pandemic uh, passion project of Amelia's. I watched it for a while and I would always have to close my eyes and cover my ears because I really don't do well with gore and I'm very like hyper empathetic. So I would watch Criminal Minds like, oh, I can't watch this. But then also I'd be like, I would like to see the FBI agents talking to each other. Uh, (laughs) So I remember that Zug Swang uh, had something to do with chess and there was an evil villain and Dr. Spencer Reed was the target of it. Um, And I know that they told me what it meant, but I do not remember anything about it. Great. This isn't where you are honest about not knowing things. So given all of that, now define Zugzwang for us. Now I have to define it. Okay. I think it's Swiss um, because it sounds Swiss. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say it's something about uh, getting to the end of your game and maybe Mm -hmm. all of your pieces are in um, a particular formation. Like we'll we'll say like somehow you've you've made it into a column that's impenetrable. And your opponent is just stuck there and they're just like, oh, sucks wang. Honestly, for someone who doesn't know, Julia, that was incredible. You really got yourself so tangential. Actually explain what this means because <laughs> I have no idea. The reason why I thought it was tricky with stalemate is it's this really similar idea where you're putting your opponent in a position where they really can't move any of their pieces. So your idea of like the column and the position, this Essentially what you're doing, you're saying maybe pawns are blocked or pieces can't physically move anywhere. So you're sort of forcing your opponent to play a poor move that they would never want to play because there's nowhere else to go. Yeah, this is something that I always like from the language side I find really satisfying is like there's can't and can't or really just can't and shouldn't. So like a game can end in stalemate where you can't make any moves legally. So there's no move. So the game's over. 
But then there's can't in the sense of I can't play anything that doesn't get me into a horrible position. And so all of my moves are bad. And I think something that makes the idea of Zigzwang a little poetic is the precise moment of Zigzwang is I'm in a position where my opponent is making no threats. If it was their turn, there's nothing they could do that bothers me. However, any move I make puts me into a position where they now have a threat that bothers me. So, oh, okay. and so from that, um, from that criminal minds episode, <laughs> the idea was he, I think it was like inaction wasn't an option, but any choice he made was going to put him in a losing position in right. his, the battle for his life or something. Okay. And yeah. if you could just say pass, there would be no threat, but you can't, but you can't, you have to make but a you move. Can't. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is your explain. All of this is, is making it very clear to me why writers like chess so much and use it. <laughs> it's very specifically useful when you're trying to contrive a plot. Because mm. if you're writing a story and you need something to happen and you need tension to exist, and one of the things that is very common for people to do is give their characters really no choice but to have everything kind of go very badly. Mm. Like yeah. no matter what you do, you can make the best choice that you, you make the best choice that you can given your position and your information and that it ultimately is just going to bring you a lot of hurt. Still going to be that conflict. Yeah. yeah. Put people into a situation where no matter what they do, like if you're trapped in a serial killer's house and like your choice is you scream for help or you try to run, but either choice, like you scream and the serial killer knows where you are and the people don't come to help you or you try to run, but everything's booby trapped and you end up like cut up or something. It's all bad. I yeah. love this that not comparison. And very gruesome <laughs> because I think we've been talking about criminal minds, but it works when you think about emotional situations and not gruesome totally. stories. Totally. Well. Do you feel like, Julia, after having this conversation with us, that you might incorporate some chess into your own writing <laughs> and or make JJ and I characters in oh, one of your questions. next Ooh. pieces? And Maybe even like main characters, the main, the main characters, you know, I was going to say, no, I wouldn't use chess in my own writing because, uh, people who actually play chess would know immediately that I don't know anything about it. And they would then tell me how much I got wrong, but you have chess (laughs) consultants now. Honestly, at your disposal, Julia, anytime, any place, any medium, we are here for you. Then I remembered a couple of things. One is a lot of what I write is science fiction and fantasy. And there's a trick you can use in that um, because it's not our world and magic is possible or high tech that we don't have is possible. And it's a different universe. Uh, So I could say modified chess. (laughs) And as for making you main characters, I mean, yeah, we could talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> beautiful okay jj what other terms you got yeah i found my list of chess terms um a couple of these i think are kind of i, I i'm curious i'm just curious what the definition would be so let's go with uh compensation compensation i thought this okay. could yield to a funny answer so that's why i said <laughs> okay um i mean that's how much you get paid if you win a chess tournament mm-hmm Great, good answer. Okay, that is uh, a good, yeah, ding, 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 ding. Well, okay. that sound affected. Ding, 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 Lyra. I think that's right. Um, Isolani. What? Um, okay, I have no idea. Isolani. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, it's modified chess. Just define it how you want. It's um, Isolani. Yeah, this sounds like a proper name. So I'm guessing it's something that's named after a person. 
And uh, I'm going to say it's um, <laughs> it's when you force everything into one corner. Okay, great. Ding, ding, ding. Um, so, JJ, who calls it an Isolani besides, like, Nim's a witch? What is Losers. Nim's a witch? Losers. Yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, by the way, Jul- uh, Julia, who's Nimzovich? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, Nimzovich is uh, the wizard who made chess a game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, Nailed it. Ding, ding, ding. Fianchetto. Oh, no. Oh, that's such a good one. <laughs> um, Fianchetto. This actually, I think, is the break that you take in the middle of a very long game and yes. um, you and your opponent sit down and have some uh, very nice cookies and a little little bit of coffee that's my favorite part of the game um but now that you said that now i have to put this one in next intermezzo <laughs> okay i mean that actually does sound like a little break in the middle <laughs> out without cookies mm. just, mm. just is when you have the cookies intermezzo is no cookies which is not to be confused with an intermezzo which is when you have some hummus Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't forget the grape leaves. <laughs> okay. The 50 move rule. Can you remind us what that is? Uh, you can only play 50 moves. And if you haven't won or lost in that time, then the game is automatically over. I fucking wish. <laughs> that would be so pleasant. That would be my first choice for modified And in chess. fact, you you both win. Everyone gets rating points. <laughs> this is great. I like that rule. Okay. Um, Julia, what's a bad bishop? Mm-hmm. A bad bishop. I mean, I feel like there have been a lot of documentaries about real ones, <laughs> uh, but I don't think we should go into that. So I'm guessing this is only in chess and uh, it's a bishop that can only move in a way that will endanger your queen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's my that's my guess. <laughs> and while we're while we're talking about bishops, can you remind us what Capablanca's rule about bishops is? Um, bishops never win. Yeah. <laughs> All um, bishops are bad bishops. Winky face. I, I really wish you would explain to me what even any of these are. We can do that. Well, if you have only a king and a bishop and they only have a king, the game is a draw, a tie, because a king and a bishop alone can never checkmate a king. So in that sense, bishops wow. never win is actually just actually like true. frequently accurate. Yeah. I'm just telling truth. <laughs> JJ, there's such a good one that we haven't asked Julia yet. You're right. And it is. Julia, what is en passant? That is a term I've heard people use. Um, Holy hell. Um, I do not know <laughs> what it means. I guess uh, it's where you're making a move to the other side of the board. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh <laughs> speaking of moving to the other side of the board, what's under promotion? What was that? Under, under promotion. Under promotion. Uh, maybe that's where you're moving something, but not as far as you could move it. So you're, you could move your pawn two squares, but you're only moving one. Mm. Scarily close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a way to make friends. Mm. Right, JJ? I mean, I was socialized male, so no. I always <laughs> overpromote in those situations. Okay, we've hit some really good ones. Are there is there anything that we're missing, JJ? Well, I guess finally I should probably just ask, since it's going on right now, what is the candidates tournament? <laughs> mm. Um, okay. So 
I did not look this up. You told me not to cheat. So I didn't, I didn't look this up. Uh, but my best guess is this is the tournament that decides who gets to be called like a, a grand master or something. And so if, if there are candidates that can be the national chess lord. Yes. Yes. Like those people, which one of them? Yes. It's eight. It's eight guys. And whoever wins gets to be a national master. I love this conceptualization of candidates. That's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, and I guess I should also ask who's the world chess champion. Oh, um, is that, is that Nakamura? Yes. Mm-hmm. Hikaru. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've seen people talk about this name in chess Twitter. <laughs> I wish it was Julia. It's someone named Magnus Carlson. Have you heard that name before? No. I have not. Good. I think that's great. I've learned so much from this. Um, I can't even tell you how much I loved this interview. This is this the first time incredible. I've enjoyed having a guest. Okay. It was wonderful on every level. It exceeded my wildest expectations, which I didn't have any. On, on my podcast talking about a movie yes. that you hazily remember from your childhood. Yes. As someone with ADHD, I have no idea what's happened in any movie I've ever watched. I also have like a facial blindness, so I don't know who any of the characters are. So when I watch movies, my spouse hates my guts because I don't know what's happening. So, yes, we would love to. On JJ's behalf, I I accept. Okay, well, you just have to think of a movie that you remember having seen as a child and have not seen since. I was thinking about this recently because the closest thing I had to a religious upbringing was my father, a Brooklynite, a Jewish Brooklynite, in fact, uh, loved Mel Brooks movies. Okay, yeah. And so I think the degree to which he had me watch and would quote Spaceballs, the Star Wars parody yeah. is one that like I still will regularly think and sometimes even make out loud jokes from that movie that I definitely haven't seen since then. And I'm sure it in many ways has aged poorly, but also in many ways was like such a classic. What um, about you, Julia? Do you yeah. have a do you have a movie that you vaguely remember seeing as a child? At bonus points if it made like a huge impression on you or gave you nightmares or something. Oh my God. Movies that gave me nightmares. All of them. My parents, my parents cared about interesting things. So I loved Stephen King in elementary school. That was my favorite author as like an eight year old. (laughs) So I watched it in third grade and it scarred me. Yeah. It made a lasting impression. I had an older brother and hung out with him and his friends a lot and wanted to, you know, keep up. I watched a lot of really inappropriate things. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not that good at watching movies. Did see Spaceballs though? Not in 20 years. I could have like a fantastic we, we could combo. Totally do a Spaceballs episode. We have not talked about that movie, and it's uh, it's ready. And yeah. it has some cu- some cultural relevance. Merchandise. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I love it. I'm on board. All right, cool. All right. So we'll see you for space falls and then we'll see you for the uh, net for the candidates recap episode. One, one. Yeah. As always, thank you for letting us take you into this deep, dark forest where two plus two equals five. And the path leading out is only wide enough for listeners like you. Intro and outro music provided by JPEG Mafia. We would be truly touched if you subscribe and leave us a glowing review. And tell all of your friends. Yeah, all of them. And every week, we'll be gifting one lucky subscriber who leaves a five-star review a lifetime premium diamond membership to leechess.org. Unlocking all of their features. Even that? Especially that. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at ChessFeelsPod. 
Oh, and if you didn't like what you heard, do not hesitate yeah. to message any feedback. No matter how critical or scathing. Directly to Mr. Dodgy, our social media manager, even though he doesn't know it. <laughs> at Chess Problem. One. Yeah. Yeah.